0: Empire.
1: Oh, and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the John Kahn Report wherever you get your podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. Always much appreciated. You can find us there as part of Ampire Media. That's A-M-P-I-R-E. As you can see, I'm back in the hostage room at the commander's facility doing the keys and predictions for you but one little a couple little nuggets before we get going a couple players who will not play Sunday receiver Jahan Dodson still dealing with the hamstring injury uh Ron Rivera said he does expect he does he is very hopeful for him practicing next week so that's a good sign for him then linebacker Cole Holcomb he too won't play because of a sprained left foot they don't think it's going to be a long-term situation so he could be back sooner than later Don't know yet about next week. They sounded a lot more optimistic with Dotson. So that's a good sign for them for next week, not for this week. I think one of the things that – oh, the other thing with along with Holcomb is David Mayo, the other linebacker, not going to play as well. It's only noteworthy because he is Holcomb's backup. But they can throw in John Bostic. And the other thing is Cam Curl can play down in that box area. Last week they used Bobby McCain in the slot a lot. Now, different, de- different offenses pose different strategies for the defense, but they do have some flexibility there. They can go to that five-man defensive front, which is an, at, at times, not always, but a de facto three, four at times. So they they do have some options there, but I think losing Holcomb will hurt, but they do like how Jamin Davis, in particular, is progressing. That play he made at the goal line the other day, one of the reasons, if you remember, after the Cam Curl stopped that... They put him at, I think it was second and goal, from, or third and goal from the one. After that stop, Davis makes a terrific play in the backfield. But the reason he made it is because John Allen and Davis, the way they were aligned, Allen was to his left and Davis is right off over the guard more. Well, they basically did a little stunt, it was just a mini stunt. But it works because sometimes when guys are doing that in the linebacker spot, out of that alignment, they might lean and give it away. Because Davis is so quick and athletic, he doesn't do that. So he gets right to the hole. Allen really sells it as well. That was a terrific play. But anyways, so they're confident in him. There you go. Nothing new on the sale today. I know you're going to hear a lot of names about people who are interested in buying. There's still, people are still unsure. Is it going to be the whole team? Is it going to be a partial sale? Then you talk to other people, say, well, would anybody really want to be a minority investor given the toxicity around the Dan Snyder name right now? Plus the fact that you're paying a lot of money and you don't have any say. So still more to learn there. We'll get more to that next week. Now, let's get to the keys and predictions. And then after that, I'll be back with ESPN's Kevin Seifert giving you a preview of the Vikings. And I apologize. I wanted to play that earlier this week. But the news about the sale kind of topped everything and pushed that to the side. So I'm combining these two. So keys and predictions. And then ESPN's Kevin Seifert learn about the Vikings. Kevin gives great insight. So please stick around for that as well. Let's start with the keys. First of all, the first key. Read it right. I say that because the Vikings like to do a lot of different things with their defense and their coverage. Really, what it is is a split safety look. So that means one side's going to be playing one thing, the other side's going to be playing a different sort of coverage. You just have to read it right and just know where they're going to go. It's it's something the Chargers did, for example, last year in the season opener. It's something that they're used to because they've seen it now um, a couple times. But you just still you still have to read it right because if you you're going to go up to the line of scrimmage with you have a beater for this coverage on this side, a, a play beater for a route beater over here. If it's a different coverage, you just have to know which side you have to go. That's going to be on Taylor Heineke. There are things they they disguise it pretty well. They don't do more disguises than other teams, but they do do a pretty good job disguising it. But the Vikings do give up a lot of yards in, against the pass. I think they're their second worst against, in terms of yards per attempt, their second worst. They are 28 in yards passing yards allowed per game. So not it's not a good pass defense, but you do got to get you do have to get the reads right. Of course, everything's going to start with the run for this team. They do want to control the ball, they want they know they have to keep the defense off the field, and the way they can do that is by controlling the ball, converting third downs. The Vikings in the last 3 games have have held their opponent to less than 80 yards rushing each time. So they're improving as a run defensive unit, but you can still hurt them against the pass. And they do have Patrick Peterson at corner, but he's a guy that he's getting up there a little bit. He is grabby. One thing to note: he, again, he's grabby, and they know it. But they are, this is also a refereeing staff, an officiating crew that, uh, that calls one. I think they have one of the highest calls of defensive holding of any crew in the league. So pay attention to that. I know that there's something they're going to tell this crew before the game that Patrick Peterson likes to gra- be grabby. But the other thing is, he's obviously still a very good corner. But he also he will read flat-footed at times, so there are things that they did that they felt they could do against, like against Steph- Stephon Gilmore last week that they can do against Patrick Peterson. So he's going to try and, and anticipate and and sit on some routes. So look for a couple double moves, maybe a big play down the field with McClure or whomever. But I would watch for that. So that's that's one thing. Number two, control Dalvin Cook. Listen, the the, the key I think to the Vikings. Offense will be stopping that run game. In the last three games, Cook has averaged 5.53 5, yards per carry. You need to stop him. He's a dynamic running back. When they get going with running the ball, they can do their bootleg, their bootlegs, the play action, the waggles. All those are things that Kirk Cousins runs well. You can't let him get going. You can't let that offense get going with that. So you need to stop Cook and you need to do it early in the game. Ron Rivera talked about this on Friday that it's one thing if you You let a big run in the second half, but you need to establish early on that you can stop that run and force them into a different style of offense for a longer period of the game. That starts with Dalvin Cook. When the Vikings have had their worst third down showings in games, it's because teams are stopping the run. So pay attention to that. And then you basically you take away um, the ability to, to, again, run some of those bootleg actions and all that that Kirk does very well. So the last one is bait. Kirk cousins. That's your old guy, right? We know him very well here. We saw what he could do. He's still a good quarterback. He's a viable star. He's a quality NFL starting quarterback, whatever anybody wants to say about him from the past, that's what he is. And there are a lot of teams that would like to have a Kirk cousins, including this one. And they called on him in the offseason just to see, is he available? They were told no, but it was among there when they were calling all these teams to see who was available and trying to compile a list of possibilities well, he was on that list. You had to be because he was a guy that maybe is available. And if he is, how would you not look at him because he is a quality NFL starting quarterback? But is he top 10? No, but he's a he's a good quarterback. There are things you can do with him. He's, he's good. He's smart. He's tough. He's durable. He's been all that. But he will also make mistakes. And we've seen that. 11 touchdown passes here, five picks. Not a high number of picks, but you can maybe get him to do some things Get him under get him under pressure. The Vikings line has been better lately, so that's a growing, improving unit. So that's you know that's something to watch there. But if you can get him under under duress, he's completed when he's been considered under duress. His completion percentage is thirty four point five percent. Get him in those situations. That's where it stops with stopping Dalvin Cook. Because if you get him in favorable situations, you've got a pretty good receiver out there in Justin Jefferson, who's phenomenal. Let's let's be honest. Maybe, maybe clearly one of the best receivers in the league. He's had, I think it's three games, three or three games over 145 yards receiving. He's a stud, so you can't let him get off. One thing to watch with him is they will throw shorter passes to him than they did last year. Like last year, his average depth of target was around 12. This year, it's a little more than eight. He is getting more yards after the catch. He's a dynamic player. You don't want to let him get off. But only two touchdown catches, both in the season opener so you want to make sure you control him but he's also got Adam Thielen they just added tight end TJ Hawkinson You also got Cook out of the backfield so there are things they can do with him but you want to get Cousins situation where maybe he doesn't see a, a, a defensive back coming over that's how he's throwing some picks where he clearly didn't see a guy and he forced a pass maybe you get him moving a certain way and he throws back across his body that's happened as well put him in those situations where he's got to make those kind of Uh, decisions or maybe force them into mistakes. So that's, that's the other thing we've seen that here. We've seen that in the stadium, but he's still been a quality NFL starting quarterback. So how does this play out? I don't like the injury situation for Washington. Still. Um, I would, it'd be nice to see Jahan Dotson back. I do like the mindset of this team. This is a close team and I don't think you can discount that. I think this winning streak has continued to feed their confidence there's something maybe building here. I think this is a game where we see exactly what is building inside commander's facility. Is this a legitimate playoff contender or is this a team that won three games against teams that aren't playing as well? We'll find out. I do think they're playing better. Give them credit. Taylor Heineke has, has added a spark here. I think he's a good player for these guys to rally around. I, but, you know, I, I would like, it would be nice if Cole Holcomb could play and if Dotson could be back. Um, You know, and is Trey Turner going to hold up for a second game? There are still questions that I still have about them. So this is going to answer some. I am picking the Vikings 27-23. My confidence level is not all that high, but I am going to go that way because I think the Vikings are a little bit more proven right now. They They are playing well, seem to be an improving team in some areas as well. So I'm going to go there and we'll see. But again, I think we're going to learn a lot about Washington this week. And that's why I think this is a big game for you to watch. Where does this team go? We're going to find out Sunday. That's it for me. Now, I'll be back in a minute with ESPN's Kevin Seifert. He's going to give you a good rundown on the Vikings talking about Cousins, Kevin O'Connell, all that good stuff. So stick around. Here's my conversation with ESPN's Kevin Seifert. Learn more at marines.com. Well, Kevin, I cover a team where people are saying, how are they, how have they won three in a row? You kind of cover a better version of that, which is six out of seven. And even Ron Rivera said the other day, they're flying under the radar and I don't know how because they're six and one and they're pretty good. And I know you just kind of wrote a story about this on ESPN.com. Go check it out. But it's about how, you know, are they for real? So what do you think?
0: Uh I mean at some point your record speaks for itself. You know, right. like you can keep asking if a team is for real and are they going to win the Super Bowl or are they good enough to win the Super Bowl? But as the as the record uh continues to 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 move up, um, I mean, it just answers the question itself. I mean, they're already four games up uh in the loss column uh in the NFC North. So it would be an all-time collapse right now for them to to not win the division at least. And so that gives you a home playoff game, and then you go from there. Um, but You know, they've certainly had lulls on both offense and defense where they've either fallen behind or let teams get back in after jumping out to a lead. And that's concerning. But, uh, you know, absent being, you know, one of the top two or three dominant teams in the NFL, I think most of the league is in that spot. But where they've really just excelled and, and really dominated is just in all the little things that can add up to affect outcomes of games that people don't think about. And the example I keep using. Um, is scoring before halftime. Kevin O'Connell, who's the new head coach here, uh, made a big point of that when he first got hired, that in terms of game management and game strategy and clock management, that was a really important part of a game. And you can really take control of a game or make it very hard on your opponents if you can, if you can score or at least attack in those moments. And they've at one point, and I think it's still a the case, they were leading the league in, in points scored in the last four minutes of the first half. So that's just one example, whether, and there's lots of them, but that's the way they're pulling it off. They're not coming into games where they have a clearly have a better offense than the other team's defense or the other teams or their defense is just much better than the other team's offense. They're battling it out and winning uh, in the margins.
1: So obviously you brought Kevin O'Connell. There's there's another guy there who is familiar with Washington fans, even though he hasn't been here for five years, but Kirk. Cousins. I don't know who that
0: could be. Yeah.
1: <laughs> first of all, does anybody call him Kurt up there? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> no, we've gotten his
0: name right. That actually worried me, like when I that first came up, that I was gonna one day slip and just say that accidentally, and he would not probably find that very funny. And I don't blame yeah. him if, if he was upset. So no, I'm glad I haven't slipped and no one slipped, and we're all calling him Kirk.
1: How is how is he? progress there what 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 you know what what do you think about him
0: yeah I mean and that that the the big the big question coming in was this was the first offensive minded head coach that he played for in Minnesota um and and Kevin O'Connell and would he would he be able to bring him to the next level with a, a pretty good set of skill position players around him um and I would say that, that Kirk has not been much different than what he's been in other years in Minnesota. He's had some good moments. He's had some bad moments, but where he's been really good. Um, and again, this, this falls back into what we were talking about earlier is in, is making a handful of really key plays that win the game. Um, in some cases it's literally the game winning touchdown pass that he had against uh, Detroit uh, a few weeks ago in uh, a few seconds left in the fourth quarter. in um, in London, he made a really perfect about a forty-yard uh, pass on a on a go route to Justin Jefferson that set him up for the game-winning field goal. Um, in the first quarter the other day, he took off uh, to try to buy himself some more time. Realized nobody was was uh, was watching him, and he just went down the sideline and dove over the pylon and scored a touchdown that to give them an early advantage against the Cardinals. And so. Uh, in between those plays, there's been some ones where you're like, you know, you, you'd like to see him, you know, at this point in his career, not make that throw or not make that decision. But um, you know, he's he's more than done enough to uh, be a part of this six and one start for
1: sure. Do you think people are glad he's still there? Just because I know there was always, for the time he went there, it was always like, do they like him? Do they not? Do they like him? Do they yeah. not? You, you know, does he clash him with Zimmer? Do you think it's a good situation with him and O'Connell? And and I guess are they still glad he's there?
0: I think it's a great situation with him and O'Connell from everything I can tell. And uh, the comparison with Mike Zimmer, you know, is an easy one for O'Connell to win because he's an offensive minded guy right. and he's a much different personality. And I think a better fit for Kirk personality wise. Um, and it's not because he's just, you know, a pushover. He's, he's, he's coaching him hard, but they have the kind of weekly discussions and you know daily discussions that you would want a quarterback and a play caller. Uh, head slash head coach to have, and that wasn't always going on um, in the previous regime. Um, I think people still feel the same about Kirk as they always have. You know, they again, you know, they they can't they can't blame him when he makes those key throws. But you know, his one really bad game this year happened to be on Monday night in Week Two uh, against the Eagles, and uh, they had fallen behind uh, really quickly. But they in the second half they had a chance to catch up, and I and he threw three interceptions. I think they were all in the red zone, and Not good, you know, not like they were just tip passes that he couldn't control. It was, you know, some bad decisions, and some bad throws. And so uh, that balanced out any, I think, renewed optimism that people would have that he would take that next step. You know, he I've always said that he has a very high floor um, and he does. And so you can win games with him. Um, Can you win the Super Bowl? I don't know. Uh, He hasn't yet. Um, he's shown that he can still have those kind of games uh that happen to be in in this case happen to be in prime time um, but he also has like I said indisputably uh, made plays to win games so I so when it, where it nets out is I don't think people's person uh people's feelings about him however they felt coming into the season has changed too much in either direction
1: and, and I know you're you'll end up talking to him on Wednesday and we're recording mm-hmm. this on Tuesday so do you think at this point that it matters to him coming back here for a game it's been five years but you've gotten to know him a little bit I mean how much do you think it matters
0: well actually I did ask him on Sunday about it because we had this weird I I always downplay revenge games and I I just think that's more of a media creation than it is for players and uh, Patrick Peterson just had a very emotional revenge game against the Cardinals and I totally underestimated that it would matter that much to him but it really did and so I asked Kirk, it's like, Are, is this going to be one that that matters to you? And he goes, and he's kind of like, you know, I haven't even gotten to there yet, but I think my stra- my strategy will be just to not even go there at all. Like I don't, I don't, ima- not not go to Washington, but not go right. to that discussion. Um, and, you know, just, just view it as an other opponent. They've already played once. I believe they played here a few years yes. ago on a, on a night game and, and the Vikings won that game. Um, my understanding is that the crowd in, in D.C. has typically been friendly towards the visitor teams uh, in, in recent games. So I don't know that he's going to face a, uh, a strong emotional reaction from the, the Washington fans that are there um, or he's going to hear it. And so my guess is that um, he's a competitor and he would like to beat them. But if he harbors some kind of grudge against them, I'm, I'm not aware of it.
1: And the other thing is there are only there may be three players I think that were left from here. It's a yeah. different coaching staff, it's a different front office. Right. It's not the group that decided that they want that they didn't want to pay them initially, you yeah. know, and so all those things. And it's a different name and different jerseys. So there's, yeah. Yeah. there's you know, I know it's the same city, but it's yeah. it, so when you watch them on film, it's not like you're watching the same team that you played for.
0: Right. And so. I, and I and again, yeah, time is probably the biggest factor. It's been, right. you know, he's now in his fifth year here. And so it's um, you know, he went through the process with them. Uh, you know, he probably one you know that process you know he got to leave and he got to put himself in a position where he could be one of the highest paid players in the NFL and pick the spot where he could play and that's very rare for a quarterback so you know that doesn't mean that that's how he thinks of it but again if he has any grudges towards um, ownership there or anybody that's still left when he was there um, or fans there I'm not aware of it.
1: The funny thing is Kevin like when this team was looking for quarterbacks last offseason they, they wanted to check with every team that had a possible availability there or a possible deal. So they actually did call the Vikings about yeah. Kirk yeah. Cousins. Now, clearly they weren't going to trade him, but, you know, I think the people here would have welcomed a quarterback at that level.
0: Interesting. And that, and that wasn't a terrible idea on Washington's part to, to make that call um, because the Vikings had just turned over their front office. Right. You know, Kwasi Adolfo-Mentz is the new general manager, Kevin O'Connell's new coach people who brought Kirk Cousins here uh, weren't here anymore. Uh, and that wasn't you – know, uh, when you think back to the first press conferences those guys had, they weren't as 100% committal, at least publicly, as they are now, obviously. And part of that was because they had to redo his contract, and they ended up deciding that this core – they thought this core of players was good enough that they didn't want to change quarterbacks at this point. They wanted to see how far it could go. So he's basically locked in as their starter through next year. Um, contract unless they want to have a big salary cap hit but in that little interim there it wasn't you know total totally out of the out of the uh out of the question to at least make that inquiry
1: how what kind of difference has o'connell made again people are familiar with him here because he was here for a couple years
0: well i mean i I, honestly i think the biggest thing is that and this is not just vikings but the league-wide trend is like there's a real advantage to having an offensive-minded head coach um and play caller if they're good at it you know because that's, the, that's the, the strength of how you can win games. And um, when I talk about all the things that they do well, the little things, a lot of that is that the play caller and the game manager are the same person. And so he can make decisions on whether he wants to go for it on fourth down or whether he wants to try to run, you know, uh, you know, to start a game based on what he knows about what plays are working, what he has on the menu. And there's like, a, it's just more efficient. Mm-hmm. And there's been lots of examples where he's made game management decisions, not based on analytics and you should go for it on fourth down, but because, Hey, I got a great play here. I know is going to work. Uh, and and that's why I want to go for it on fourth down. And that's the organic way you'd love to see NFL teams work on game day. So I think he's made a real uh, impact in terms of those sort of micro decisions over the course of a game. And, and he's and NFL teams tend to go 180 degrees from one coach to the next. And so as sort of old and veteran right. and crusty as Mike Zimmer was O'Connell's, you know, happy and, and positive and, and, and you know, quote unquote players coach um, uh, on the other side. And then, you know, we've seen how those things can sometimes work out um, and be taken advantage of. We haven't seen that he's a young coach uh, coaching a very veteran team and he's soliciting their, um, the players advice, especially guys like Patrick Peterson and, and Kirk and um, he's, very smartly, you know, built the whole offense around Justin Jefferson, who we haven't mentioned yet. But right. you know, that, that's their best player. You know, he's a receiver, but that doesn't mean you can't you can't run the whole offense through him. And he has. Um, and so a lot of the things that that he's done um have made you know significant impact on on starting the way they have.
1: With Jefferson, a lot of is it, it look like I think you had a story a couple of weeks ago about the air yards per attempt yeah. to him a little bit lower than traditional, but very yeah. obviously very productive.
0: Yeah, I think O'Connell's quote is you don't have to throw over their heads to make explosive plays. Mm-hmm. And they very much have been, you know, most of his big plays except for that one that I mentioned um against New Orleans. Um most of his big plays are like 15 to 20 yard crossers across the middle where they have schemed him open or schemed to pick or schemed something that gets him wide open and then he's off to the races and and uh and make turns a 15 yard play into a 25 or or 30 or 40 yard play. And so um, that's, that's what we've seen a lot of. Um, And, you know, you want to put the ball in the hands of your best player, you know uh, what would have been almost 20 years ago when Mike Tice took over and Randy Moss was the top receiver here. He came up with this idea, this branding called the Randy ratio. We're going to throw to him 40% of the time. And so, that worked uh, for a time. And and that idea is still very prevalent and necessary. You know, you not only want to make sure you're getting the ball a lot to your top player, but you want him to know that you're working every day, every minute to get him the ball as well.
1: Uh, last thing offensively, what else, you know, Delvin Cook, I mean, you know, all, they've got other weapons, but where are they at with all those guys?
0: Um, they've been good, you know, Dalvin, uh, you know, he separated his shoulder a few weeks right. ago, right. um, didn't miss a game, but you know, he's a guy that you have to, you know, monitor for injuries. Um, but he's still, you know, he's still got that little bit of an explosive, um, uh, bit there. If he get he makes that one cut and he gets through the line, you know, you, he, can still run, uh, run pretty fast and run away from people. They have an almost exact duplicate of him in Alexander Madison as their backup. There's a little bit less explosive, but uh, very good backup to bring in. Um, you know that when you have they have Jefferson and the other side, Adam Thielen, who probably isn't as fast and as quick as he used to be, but is still very crafty. And I think what um, you know Kirk Cousins knows is that. That's a guy that doesn't need to be have four yards of separation to throw him the ball, and so a lot of you'll see a lot of contested catches from him. Uh, tight end has been pretty um, has been pretty thin, uh, and Herb Smith Jr., had, who's their starter, has had a couple injuries, and most recently an ankle, and so I'm not even sure if he'll play this week. So, uh, but they but in the big scheme of things, they have plenty of weapons for uh, Kirk Cousins, and that's why they decided to bring him back as opposed to starting over there
1: last thing, how good is the defense?
0: Um, It's a work in progress. You know, they, they transitioned from the four, three to the three, four and O'Connell hired Ed Donatel to be the defensive coordinator. Um, And he sort of has, he's been a defensive coordinator in the league before, but had been working in the Vic Fangio um, scheme for a long time. And O'Connell really likes that scheme and thought that that was what he wanted to have. And so uh, they, they, they basically go into it saying we need to pressure with our front four with the Darius Smith and Danell Hunter, especially, and we're going to play zone in the back end a lot. And that's the way they started the year. And when those guys got home, they played well. And when they didn't, uh, there were, you know, 15, 20 yard passes available to offenses routinely in that zone. And so they've mixed it up a little bit. They're having Patrick Peterson play a little more press where he's comfortable. Um, and they, uh, you know, I think that they're uh they've worked very hard to get Zedario Smith, especially matched up against whoever is the weakest pass rusher, even if that or pass protector, even if that's your uh your left guard or your center, that's where you'll see him line up and that's where he's done a lot of his damage. So um they can they can they give up yards for sure, and they've given up some points uh in some games. And so they can be they can be uh, uh you can find holes there if if you look hard enough.
1: Kevin, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Great stuff. Okay, thanks, John. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Kevin for joining me, and thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back after Sunday's game against the Vikings with the voice of the Commanders, Bram Weinstein. Talk to you next time.